Okay. We are moving into uh, finishing this, this series on faith and developing faith <clears throat> with uh, the focus today on the illuminating faith. And the idea here is as we're following through Paul, what I want you to pick up is that you are a disciple of this man, this wonderful man who's been transformed from being touched by heaven himself. Paul is probably the most prolific, profound influence of Western Christianity in all of history. And therefore, for you to read and approach the scriptures with the understanding that what God was doing through Paul in those churches, God wants to do in your life right now. And so when we approach this teaching, uh, there's some things I really hope you pick up and say, this is for me. And so when Paul is talking about uh, faith is, and faith is one of these catch-all words. We've been looking at what faith means and from the various stages of faith, from a, a baby faith to an intermediate faith, an infantile that's increasing, growing, so that your faith really becomes strong in order to come to this point now where you learn that faith is not just a passive thing, a cognitive thing, an intellectual thing, a jeopardy question and answer kind of thing, but it is a participating in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And what Jesus did when he came to earth was to do lots of things to establish the kingdom. And that kingdom primarily means one that you would be brought into a union where Christ would be the vine and you were the branch. As the creator created the world and you're just a creature. And for you to take your posture as a dependent, interdependent, one who was created to be like Christ, who was dependent upon the Father. So we are called to have that union with Christ. The word in, the, in John uses a lot is to abide. Abide like abode means the place where you live and dwell. So we dwell in the presence of the very God who made us the very God who's passionate about us. And therefore, Christ came to bring about that reunion, for we know that salvation is a restored relationship, not by works, lest any man should boast, but it's a gift of God, <clears throat> by the grace of God. And so we receive the person of Christ, not just an answer, not just a ticket to heaven. We receive the real person of Christ, risen as our brother, but one who comes alongside and so as you shift off of this passive faith to an active participation, and that's what was taking place in the New Testament. These folks were on the move because the Holy Spirit was moving in them, and they participated because they understood their identity, that who they were, they were made before the foundation of the world to be a man or a woman who would be reflective of the very glory of God. Glory is one of these religious words, but let me break it down for two words that you'll understand. It's so that you would be a blessing, as God is the blessor, but that you would be a reflection of beauty. And that beauty for a man or that beauty for a woman would have different strains that we'll look at in a couple of weeks about what it means to be a man 
fully restored, a woman fully restored, a, a, a man or woman fully reflecting that image. But you are not just doing that individually, you're doing that as the people of God, incorporated into a community of the kingdom. And so as Paul is trying to teach us so that we understand our worldview, to think like Christ does, to think like the Spirit does, he leads us into an understanding of our faith in Christ. And, and I would encourage you, never talk about faith without, for us as Christians, you can, there'll be discussions about faith and faith in faith and faith in a higher power. But what we have to do and keep in mind, it's not about faith or a belief or even a trust. It's about faith in Christ, trust in Christ. We are followers of Christ. And so that focus we've looked at through the years, uh, through the last several weeks about how Christ is trying to improve our relationship with him. Salvation is restored relationship. Sanctification is improved relationship. And glorification is perfected relationship. When we get home, we'll see him just as he is, and we'll be changed just like that in a moment. But the idea for Paul, and today I've just got four points, and they're not all going to be on the slides, and so if you want to take notes of the references, there are four things I want to get into, because we've been talking about mature people. And coming to the point that your faith, you understand, you have smart faith, you have a competent, coherent, you understand how the faith that you have makes your life relevant. You have salt and light power, that you have an influence on your world. Something that people forget if they're just kind of passive or take this for granted. We have real answers to real problems. And therefore, today I want to talk about Why is developing your faith in Jesus Christ important? And there are four things that I'm going to introduce that's going to make you think, and so be ready. (laughs) Because you're going to get some things uh, that I think will help you uh, struggle well, learn well from some others. But I'm just going to point out these four things. One, we want to have the same and central goals, the focus that the Holy Spirit has. And so we've talked about the goals really determine whether or not we follow or the information is important. We want to know what the Holy Spirit is after. And so in doing so, we want to be able to learn as a community how to have that ability to reflect Christ, walk in the Holy Spirit with grace and hope in a fallen world. That's going to be the second focus. And so to have the same central goals and the focus with the Holy Spirit, and I'll come back to these in a minute. So if you're taking notes, don't worry, I'll, get, I'll come back. But the third thing is, we want to be faithful people. And as a result of our faith, it's not just we believe what we believe and put it on the shelf when we need it from time of crisis. We want to be faithful in all areas. So we want to be wise, and especially in times of uncertainty. Because you will be challenged by your faith. You'll be challenged by your ability to reflect the grace because you're at different stages of growth. But the last thing is to to understand that God wants you strong in faith. God wants you to know him well enough to say, the Lord's got it. 
The Lord's got my back. I can rest. I can be free. There's a lot of things there. But we will have that stability and maturity only if we abide, we participate, we identify, and that we work as a fellowship together and growing in Christ. So let me, let me again remind you that as we've gone through the New Testament, you'll see people at all kinds of stages of faith. But remember what Hebrews said that Jesus, uh, the writer of Hebrews said, focus, fix your eyes on Jesus, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, the author and the perfecter of faith. And that means that your faith is going to be constantly developing. And so we've, we've gone through this chart before, so you'll see that growth. But let me come back to what I said a couple weeks ago. What all of this is, is focuses on is the redemption, the undoing of the undoing of Adam, or the redoing of Christ. And so what was broken, God has come to replace with the kingdom of God. That restoration means that you should be able to talk about Christ Jesus in your life in such a personal way that you say, yeah, God is really changing me from the inside out, not the outside in. But that work of restoration, because salvation is not just about paying for your sins. Salvation is calling you home to the heart of God himself. And so that redemption is going to be experienced in a relationship. And as I said last week, that gospel is the middle sea. And to go deep and deeper and deeper into that gospel, to tell that story that you love so well. For all the nations, wherever we go, and as we go, we tell the story of Jesus Christ. But we do it in a way which, which is respectful, We do it in a way that's sensitive to where people are coming from, but we do it in a way that reflects the grace and the glory of Christ himself. And so let me go back to those first points. To have the same central goals and the focus with the Holy Spirit, this means, this is is a different approach because as you get into the idea of the central focus, now depending on which church background you, you come from, or depending on what you're listening to, you'll hear, like, and that, that was the piano, that, that the gospel is middle C, but there are always sharps and flats and keys that you won't play constantly, but you'll, pl- you'll play all of those keys in the Christian life. There'll be issues of the end times. There'll be issues about healing. There'll be issues about tongues. There'll be issues about the Holy Spirit. There'll be issues about unity. There'll be issues. There are all kinds of issues and challenges that are facing the church. But the issues, central issue, I want to say to you, as I'm really enjoying this focus, is that the issue is not your faith. The issue isn't your relationship. The central issue isn't the Bible. The central issue isn't even heaven. Now I've got you curious, don't I? (laughs) What is the central focus? And I want to direct your attention to what I think Paul really is caught up with. The central focus is not what God does for you. The central focus is the fact that God himself has come into this man named Jesus And the glory of God in Jesus is the central focus. 
and God walking around on earth in this son named Jesus to glorify his father is the central focus. Paul was caught up with this mystery that it is Christ coming to a broken world to teach the broken world how God is not broken. And the glory of the Father that would come to dwell with broken men, it's God at work in human fallenness to introduce the glory of grace. That you taste heaven before you die. And that taste of heaven is the kingdom of God breaking into our world that says there is hope. We're not stuck. There's something coming up. There's more coming up. And so the idea that Jesus would be the light of the world. And if you walk in me, you won't walk in the darkness of the world, but you'll have the light of life. David would say this in the Old Testament, that the Lord is my light and my salvation. So salvation and light, this illumination from heaven, comes into play. And as, as Susan read, in thy light we see light. In the very presence of God, we see differently. And all that's wrapped up in this faith. When John would talk about Jesus, that God-man, he said, in this one, grace and truth were realized, became reality. And no man has ever seen my father, Jesus would say. No man's ever ascended. But Jesus came to explain him. And that glory is the central focus so that we would understand the difference between light and darkness and we would walk with Christ. Jesus explained God and the Holy Spirit explains Jesus. Uh, the Holy Spirit takes what Jesus revealed and he applies it to our hearts. That there's something that should stir inside of you. That the God who is passionately pursuing you is calling people who don't know him. And therefore, if you wrestle with faith on the hard issues, that's all right. Because you're at this mature point as an adult, you're going to be asking questions that, that are not just platitudes. And we're going to get into those. So the, so the central focus of the Holy Spirit is to help you know Christ. And so in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, and again, this is not just for the Ephesians. This is for you. And so pray this for you. Listen to Paul as he says, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and for your love for all the saints, I do not cease giving thanks to, to, uh, for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, there it is again. They're, they're, they're tucked in here. Everywhere you hear Paul talking about Christ, it's going to be glory and Christ and light and the Father. It's wonderful. He says that the, the Father of glory may give to you a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation in the knowledge of him. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, illumined, that you would see more clearly in a brilliance so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, 
What are the riches of the glory in his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing power, surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? And Paul is saying that to the Ephesians. Paul is saying that to you. The Holy Spirit is saying this. I want you to have an enlightened, a, a, a really in, a, a, a competent, you know through the scriptures and you know through the experience that Jesus Christ is calling you. And that call means you're invited into glory. And Paul says, I hope your eyes, I pray. And that's what the focus here. And so these two things, mark them down as prayer requests. God wants to enlighten you, but not just to educate you about you don't want to just to Google God and find out information about the Lord. Oh, God is sovereign. Okay, I know that. No, no, it's not about education. This is about enlightenment. What does that mean? But if you have this understanding of who the Lord is, then you have the second thing Paul prays for. You have empowerment. That you don't have enlightenment without empowerment because to know what's God doing and then not to do anything about it is to miss, is to miss the work of the Spirit. Because if you know about glory but don't pursue it because you don't have power, well, Paul says, you get both. You get both. Because this one coming after you gives you enlightenment, gives you empowerment. And he does so through the Holy Spirit. In John 16, uh, in John 16, this is a passage that uh, John talks about the role of the Holy Spirit. So if you turn over to John 16, and beginning with, I think, verse 12. John 16, 12. It says, I have many more things to say to you, but you can't bear them. I have many more things to say to you, but you're not ready. If I were to tell you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't process it. And so he said to his disciples, you're not ready yet. But the mature person who's sensitive to the Spirit, who's obedient, who's faithful, who's following, they learn the secrets. And so he says, I have many more things to tell you, at verse 12. But he says, uh, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Now, I take that to mean that when you are ready, the Holy Spirit will teach you. And when you're ready to obey and ready to follow, the Holy Spirit's going to give you that enlightenment. If you don't want to obey, he's not going to give you the enlightenment. But there's a work to be done. It's an interdependent kind of relationship where you say, yes, Jesus, I want to know. Well, he's not going to give you the information just to pass out information. It's not a seminar just to go home and forget and through. He wants to develop and transform your life. But when the Spirit of God knows that, he comes and he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on of his own initiative just like Jesus didn't speak of his own initiative. God spoke in Christ through the Spirit and who, whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me. And there it is again. It pops up everywhere. 
for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. And all things that the Father has are mine, and I'm going to take what the Father is and what he's given to me, and guess what? He's going to give it to you. It's yours. Believer, you have all heaven's resources at your disposal. And therefore, that day, notice 1623. I'm going to leave, leave it here because I could go on and on. But notice 1623. In that day, you will not question me about anything. You'll come to that point where you say, I understand. I really understand. But until that day, we've got lots of questions. And questions that sometimes in the church you may not bring out. Sometimes people, some churches don't want questions. But here at CBC, we want you to question. We want you to learn. We want you to inquire. Because this is how the Holy Spirit works. And so the second thing is to have that ability from what you learn from Christ to, to ask the questions that God is answering and if you ask his questions or learn to what the Spirit is guiding you into, then you won't be preoccupied with your questions. And so that's the role of a disciple sitting at the feet of Jesus, really learning about how Christ, as God walks in a fallen world, reflects a hope, a grace, a love, a tenderness, an understanding when in you face the evil and you face the stupidity, and you face the stubbornness of darkness. And the question of change, how do people change? How does God work in a man who just got out of prison? I talked with his father last week. Six hours out of prison, he goes to his uncle's and gets high. The probation officer is on his tail. Six hours. How do you take a fool and make him a wise man? You can't do that without the Holy Spirit. But without the Holy Spirit, people are locked into foolishness. But to have that ability, we've lost that ability. For what does Paul say very clearly? Chapter 1, 2, 3 in Romans, summarized by saying, For all have sinned and continue continue to fall short. It's an ongoing verb uh, that you never stop falling short. You, you're just, something's missing on the inside. Something's wrong on the inside. But it's not there to always want to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. It's just not there for you or for me. And when you get into those times of questioning and you're not doing well, there are days that you do well and days you don't do well because you fall short. And you will always continue to fall short until you go home. So, so that's why the grace and the comfort and the kindness is really important for us in a fallen world. So to be gracious to yourself, not to condemn yourself or kick yourself or condemn or kick others. But still, we need that wisdom of enlightenment and we need the ability to, to move as God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And Christ didn't know sin until he knew your sin. But taking your sin, taking your stubbornness, taking your foolishness, taking your resistance to that cross and having been baptized in Christ, we buried that. But by the Holy Spirit, we've been risen 
with Christ to a new manner of lifestyle in that union, participation, that identity in the community of faith. In Christ, you have the enlightenment to forgive the worst kind of sin. In Christ, you have the power to reflect that same grace to heal people who have offended you. That's the focus of the Holy Spirit. But you get to this third point. To be faithful and wise in times of uncertainty. And we live in times of uncertainty. And what we want is certainty for sure. Because we want to know what we want to know. And we don't like not knowing what we want to know. And yet, in our uncertainty, here is a time of testing of your faith. When you, when you really don't really know what to do, and you really question God in a number of ways, a couple of things you've got to keep in mind. The first thing you've got to keep in mind is, and you've got to go back to this, God has designed the world to work in a certain way. You were made in the image of God. The world has been coded, programmed for glory. But that glory has been broken down. And so we have glory sometimes. <laughs> and we have, but we have been designed for glory. And as you think about that glory, it means that you have been imprinted as a woman and as a man with the power to reflect the very relational qualities that Jesus had. But that image, that you are an image bearer, a reflector of, of Christ. And as John would say, as, as Christ was in the world, so also are you, Christian. But that, that design that God had would be that you would walk in a way that you would bear that beauty, you would bear the blessing, you would bear that reflection of Christ. Design. Two, desires. What happens when you get hurt? Some people say, I don't want to do that anymore. I'll never do that again. That relationship didn't go where I wanted it to go. And what happens is some people kill their desires. I don't want... I don't want relationships. So people back off because it's kind of hard, difficult. But when you back off, you, very, you lose the very purpose of the design. You were built to be loved. You were built to be loving. But when sin hits and things get really rough, we tend to back off and not reflect grace and glory. The idea that you have a design, there are desires and the third thing is, there's a destiny. You have been purposed in a certain place, in time, with your family, in a certain country, and, a, and for a purpose. The people you know in your neighborhood and at work are there for a purpose. God has preordained that you meet certain people at a certain time. If you're listening, you'll listen to why God is, what God is doing. And so for some of you in those relationships or others are breaking down around you, why do you know these people? Why are you in their path? God wants to use you to reflect grace and glory to those who don't know grace and glory. There's certainly an issue about destiny. If you believe this, that God has a plan for your life, plans for welfare, declares the Lord, not for calamity, not for despair, 
before a future and a hope. And you bring that, Christian. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10 says, eye hasn't seen and ear hasn't heard all that God has got prepared for those who love him. Which means that from this day on, all the days of your life, there's been a plan for God to bring you to certain places to learn certain things about his goodness and glory. But then you come to this point of difficulties. And this is where the mature man, the mature woman who's at this point of faith is really going to wrestle with some things. And I hope you do so honestly with, with us in the body of Christ. Let me just share real quickly. There are some things when you come to the Bible, and I don't know about you, if you've ever wrestled, can you believe the Bible? There are a lot of people who say, I don't trust God because I don't believe the Bible. Uh, Billy Graham's right-hand man, Charles Templeton, after going on tours with Billy Graham around the world, he said, you know, I can't believe the Bible account of creation. It doesn't fit. I just, I don't understand. But, and Billy wrestled with that. They argued back and forth and says, I believe God said it. I prayed about it and I, that settled it for me. And Charles Templeton, well, you're too naive, Billy. You can't do that. You'll commit intellectual suicide. There are scholars who don't believe the Bibles, the way you read the creation. It's not a literal interpretation. And I thought, well, what happened was Charles Templeton became an atheist. And he walked away because of this issue of biblical interpretation. Is it literal? Is it literal? Were there six days, 24-hour days? Well, this is, t- this is a difficult issue. But I would say to you, in response, that there, a mature Christian will know how to read the Bible. And there are places in the Bible, and this may cause some, may raise an eyebrow or two, but there are places that you have to read things literally, and there are places that you don't read things literally. For example, Do you believe God is a rock? Our God is a rock. No, you don't believe that. But it's a metaphor that God represents the very power of an immovable force that you can rest on and build your house on. But we wouldn't think that God is some granite stone or some limestone, for Pete's sake. You wouldn't take that literally. Well, is Jonah a real story? Now you get into some questions. Is it a story or is it a metaphor? Was there really a prodigal son? And so you get these questions when people start questioning the Bible. How do I read this? There's some difficulties there. The prodigal son is a parable. It didn't really happen in history because there's no name or place. It's a way that Jesus would teach. And so you have to understand Jesus and what he's doing, but the idea that there are certain places in the scriptures that are difficult to understand. And there are, more, there are places that are more important than some others. So reading the Bible can be a very complicated thing at times, but how do you answer if somebody says, well, I don't believe the Bible because men wrote it? You have to have an answer to that. And here's my answer. I'll give it to you and you can take it freely. Jesus in Luke 24. I say, I believe in the Bible because the Bible talks about the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. And I follow the word of God named Jesus. 
And Jesus affirmed the scriptural authority, and that's enough for me. I'm, I'm putting all my chips on Christ. And if I don't understand things, that's fine, because Jesus has got me covered. But Jesus says in Luke 24, and this is the passage I go to, to people who ask this question. Luke chapter 24, beginning with 25, uh, Jesus says, as he was talking to the disciples, he says, um, oh, he said, he said to those men, oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe. Not just to believe, but slow of heart to believe in all of the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things? But you're slow to believe the prophets. And so Jesus authorized the Old Testament. And then he goes on to say in 44, uh, he says, oh, let's start with 36. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and he said, peace be unto you. But they were startled and frightened. And he thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he says, why are you troubled? The fact that you're troubled, Jesus said, why are you troubled? Jesus knows when we're troubled. But he says, why do you have doubts in your heart? Here's the risen Lord in the presence of doubt. Didn't make sense, but that they were doubting. And he says, touch me and see me. A spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see. These are difficult things to get a hold of. But he goes on, he says, these, 44, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that in all these things which are written about me, written about me, authorized it is written. And therefore Jesus says, these things written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their eyes and then they understood the fact that Jesus would follow the scripture and I follow Christ means I follow what Jesus teaches. I don't have any trouble about the metaphors or the difficulties. And if I don't understand something, it doesn't disturb me because the secret things belong to the Lord. And if he reveals them, he reveals them. If I'm not ready to have understanding, I'm something, it's about me. But the point is, it's not about me interpreting God's word it's God's word interpreting me. And the reorientation of that is a sign that the Holy Spirit has shifted me. It's not about my faith being dependent upon my understanding. It is about my understanding being dependent upon my faith. And therefore Christ says, or the Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and you know this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. And here's where the weight is. And so if the weight is on what I believe, what I interpret, what I understand, I will miss the Holy Spirit reflecting Christ. And therefore, there are things that will give you real run for your money. And what will challenge you is pain. When you hit pain, you will question God. When you hit evil, you will question God. When you have affliction, your faith may be like a weeping willow in a 90-mile 90 90 mile wind. 
And those times for a mature person as a testing of faith where you hold on to Christ. And if you let go, you have to understand that Christ has got a hold of you. That's the mature man that says, my circumstances do not define who I am. They do not define my faith. They do not define how I'm going to respond. I'm going to be faithful to keep strong in the Lord, even though I may not understand. And that's what that spiritual maturity is all about. I will love, even though I'm not being irrational. I just don't understand everything. But it's not going to change the direction of my life. And therefore, this is not for babes. For this man, Paul, everywhere he went, he said these two words, grace to you, peace to you, grace to you, peace to you. You give grace. You are a blessing. You bring strength. You are a beauty. You bring peace. Well, let me stop here. Because as we go into, and this is where I'm setting you up, (laughs) as we get into 1 Thess 4, we're going into a real difficult topic that Paul had to address over and over again in the New Testament, and that was sexuality. If you don't understand sexuality, it's because you don't understand this worldview of faith, how God designed the world with, de- with desires, and that in those desires, there's gonna be a destiny in your sanctification. So Paul was gonna talk about that in First Thess 4. It was the major issue for Gentiles. It's a major issue today. I just want to give you that background because your faith is going to interpret our world today. Well, let me back up. Why is faith important? Because the central focus of all that Paul wants to do is to see the glory of God reflected in his son. And that which is in his son is reflected in you and me. I want to be part of that. I understand the struggles. You do too. But we have the hope. We have the, we have the Spirit of God guiding us. So we don't have to worry about the doubt. Doubts will take away faith, but faith will take away doubt if you stay faithful to Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's very clear. And our hearts are slow to believe sometimes. And we just don't understand so we would ask that you would enlighten our hearts and empower our, our ability to reflect you in a fallen world. So Lord, call your people. Make us active, make us vital, make us alive, and give us that strength as we love one another, as we serve one another, as we reflect you to others. Again, Father, it's to your glory we pray. And for our growth we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, I better stop here or go to midnight. (laughs) Our last song, please stand. You never let go.